Good morning. Thanks for being here this morning. Appreciate your presence very much. As uh, Michael said, and as we announced last week, we're going to talk about edification by correction. And as I mentioned last week, I thought, you know, those things for a long time were a dichotomy, meaning that they're, they're kind of opposites of one another. I know growing up, I didn't feel like correction was building me up and making me stronger, which is what edification is. But as we get older, we take a, a different look on uh, correction, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit this morning. I told Matt that I might be uh, stepping on his toes for next week because I think he's going to talk about teaching. And the beautiful thing about this is I get to go first. So uh, you'll just have to fill in around that or correct everything that I've done wrong this morning. You know, correction is an interesting uh, topic, and we'll talk about that. We've got some pictures on the board here. We've got a mother, I guess, sitting on a bed kind of talking to her daughter, and we've got uh, a dad talking to his son, son standing knee-deep in the sand on the beach, and we've got another young man here in what I guess is called timeout with his with his nose in the corner. We might think of a little bit harsher punishment, you know, the finger wagging in the face or... Here's a little playful uh, going on there with her son. Or maybe that we're going to be corrected by learning some consequences for what we've done or maybe some punishment to correct us. But you know, there's another way that we get corrected, and that is through uh, through God's Word. And so we're going to start with a, a verse that I'm sure everyone, as soon as they heard correction, thought about, right? And that's 2 Timothy 3. So in 2 Timothy 3, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We studied this verse a couple of weeks ago in our Bible study, and Michael does a really good job of explaining all of those words much better than I but it's important that we do recognize that these these words in here mean a little bit different things. So reproof means to prove or to convict or to expose. And so when we think about God's Word, we don't have to read into it very far before we'll probably read something that either is something we've never thought of before or never read before, if we've not read the whole book, or something that we'll read a little differently and we're like, wow, that exposed something in me. That taught me something I didn't know. That, that was, that's something new. That's something different. Or maybe we'll read the same old verse and we'll go, oh, I never thought about it like that. Because that's the beautiful thing of our human mind is that we can reason and we can think and we can hear one thing one time and the same thing a different time and get two different meanings out of it, and because maybe of our place in life, make application to ourselves in two different ways. And so that's what the word reproof means, and the Bible is good at doing that. As we read it, it exposes things. No matter how much you read it, there's always something new in there for for you. And it will reprove you. It will expose things that you need to change or convict you of things that you've been doing wrong. Correction means to restore to an upright or right state. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Because when we talk about edification, edification, it comes from the word edifice, which means to build. So it's to build us up, to build us towards Christ, to build us towards being a better Christian, to to build us towards looking more like Jesus. 
And when we think about correction, it's the same thing. It's got the same purpose, and that is to make us right, to, to, to bring us up in the right way towards Christ. And then the Bible uses a couple of words, instructions, chasteneth, nurture, that all mean basically the same thing, and that's education or training. In fact, it's the same Greek word. So when you read here, and it talks about uh, instruction, when you go over to Ephesians chapter 6 and you read about fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that's the same word, education or training towards the Lord. And so those are some words that are used here in in Second Timothy. <clears throat> Brother Matt will be talking a little bit more about this education or training piece. I want to talk a little bit about the correction piece. And believe me, these are going to be kind of woven together. So uh, Matt will be able to unweave it for us next week a little bit better. But when you think about correction, there's some, there's some things that come to my mind immediately, and that is why do we need to be corrected at all? As human beings, we're capable, we're smart, we're intelligent, we can make our own decisions. Why do we need correction? And I think we all know the answer to that, but I thought it was important that we look at it. In Deuteronomy, in chapter 30, it says this, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that and that you may cling to Him. For He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Joshua says it this way. Many of us are very familiar with this verse as well. And if it seems evil, you to, evil, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers whether the gods your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A lot of us have that either carved in something, hanging on a wall or written on our walls or something. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And see, the problem here is this word choice. Ever since Genesis chapter 2 and 3, when, when we were created, we've had a choice. And because we have a choice, we'll choose to do some stuff that we shouldn't do. And when we choose to do stuff that we shouldn't do, we need to be corrected. And so that's the necessity of the reason for there to be correctness. It's not just a free will world that you can go do whatever you want to do and in the end it all works out for good. That's not promised to us. It's promised to us that if we're in the Lord, it all works out for good. And so we've got to do what the Lord wants us to do. And he's got some very specific instructions for us. And we call that the Bible. So as Christians, we must accept correction. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 8, it says this, But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So that's the New King James Version of Hebrews chapter 12. And it basically says this. In the Old King James Verse, it used the word that's a little stronger. It used the words bastards. It says you don't have a father if you're not willing to accept his chastening or his correction. So if you want to be a son of God, you've got to be willing to accept his correction 
It's a must. It's not a, you can do it if you want to. It's, it's a must. If you want to be His children, you have to accept Him as your, his, as your Father, and you have to accept His correction. We'll come back to this a little bit toward the end of the sermon, because I think there's, there's a lot of stuff right here in Hebrews chapter 12. But if I've got to accept it, my question for you is, do you like to be corrected? If you like correction, just raise your hand just so I can see the... <laughs> Lila Kay. I know that's not true. <laughs> None of us like to be corrected. Why is that? Why don't we like to be corrected? Well, I'll submit to you, I'll submit to you that it's because it makes us feel all of these things that will be coming up there on the screen. It makes us feel like, hey, I should have known better, or it makes us feel silly, or even the S word, stupid. Makes us feel stupid because somebody had to correct us. Now, why does it make us feel that way? Why does it make us feel that way? We all know the answer to that too, right? It's because of our pride. It's because we think we are somebody, and when somebody brings us down by correcting us, it hurts our pride. And so pride is a huge component of not accepting correction. So this week, we've been going up to the land, and we've been doing some work. I didn't ask Callie. If I could use her, um, but I'm going to. So we've been going up to the land, we've been doing some clearing, we've been doing some working, and we were driving up the highway, and I said, man, this Corinth Parkway, it's a silly street because it doesn't go west. It just circles around and gets back on the highway. It only goes over here to the to the east towards Matt's house. And Kelly goes, no, it goes, it goes west. I've taken it over to Zach's house many times. I said, no, it doesn't look right here. And we pull up the GPS, and it just circles around, and it doesn't go anywhere. Callie reaches over and she hits zoom and poof, the whole city over here to the west shows up on my GPS. And uh, I said, unzoom. No, it doesn't. It doesn't go. <laughs> now, wh- why was that, right? That, in effect, was a lie. Because now I knew it went somewhere else and I said it doesn't. It's because of pride, right? I didn't want that snotty-nosed kid of mine correcting me. It's all about our pride. <clears throat> In fact, it's, you know, I love me some me. It's a shock and a challenge to us. We have high opinions of ourselves. We think we are good. We think the corrector is wrong. And almost every time we're corrected, we will, the self-defense mechanism is almost to lie. And they can be little white lies. Obviously, we both knew I was lying. And if there's no harm, I don't know, you know. I'm a proponent that any lie is a bad lie. But why is it that it's this pride thing? And so when we think about correction, and we think about this pride thing, it's imperative that we be able to take this out of the way. Because if we, if we leave it in there, we're not going to receive that correction the way we should have received it. If we read the Bible with a lot of pride, we're going to skim right over that stuff that doesn't apply to me, doesn't apply to me, doesn't apply to me. 
and we're not going to get the nuggets that reprove us and change our lives. When somebody comes to us and they say, hey, there's a whole city over here to the west, and we say, no, there isn't. As long as we keep the pride, we're going to think that there's not a city over there to the east or west. So what if David had reacted that way? We remember the story of David. He uh, is sitting out on his balcony or standing out on his balcony and he sees Bathsheba and he lusts after her and he sleeps with her and she's married and she gets pregnant and he ultimately kills Uriah. Her hu- he kills Uriah, her husband, by sending him to the front and withdrawing the troops. And he's killed. And then Nathan comes to him. And Nathan tells him that story about the lamb. He said, this poor man had a lamb, loved this lamb. The lamb ate at his table. And he lived with this lamb. He loved him. It was this rich man, had lots of flocks, had, had lots of animals. This rich man's got a visitor that's going to come visit him and instead of killing one of his own, he goes and gets the poor man's lamb and he kills that lamb that the poor man loves so much and he uses that to serve the visitor that's coming to him and David gets mad. He said, that man shall die. And Nathan with just as much emphasis says, David, you're that man. Now, put yourself in the shoes of David. You're the most powerful man on the face of the earth. Right? You're the king. Nathan's this old prophet that as far as you're concerned could have the same fate as John the Baptist with just the drawing of your sword and the swinging of your arm. That's all you have to do. You don't have to put up with this. You're the king. But think think that that was not David's response. David said this, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. So the Lord said, Hey David, I'm not going to pronounce on you the same judgment that you pronounced on that rich man. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to let you live. So we had King David. And we had his lineage that brought us Christ. And he was a great king. But he had a heart that was different. Because if he had had a prideful heart, poor Nathan probably wouldn't be with us and... We'd have had to have a different lineage for Christ, probably. All because, could have been because of pride. But he said, I've sinned. I've messed up. And because he was willing to do that, great things were able to happen. He was able to have, his, his, that son that, that he had with Bathsheba was killed. But he was able to have another son, Solomon. And Solomon became a great king and led the people of Israel. Think about... Think about Peter. Think about Peter and how he responded to correction. He was a pretty boastful man. And the Lord said, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And Peter said, not going to happen. Not going to happen. But he goes and goes on and Christ is taken. And sure enough, Peter denies the Lord three times. He said, I, didn't, I don't even know the man. And then Christ is killed and Peter goes fishing. And then Christ comes back and he meets Peter. And Peter still, he's got a little bit of pride. Because the Lord says, hey, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. 
He goes, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love me. Feed my sheep. What was he trying to do to Peter? He was trying to get Peter to quit looking at Peter and the denial and everything that he'd done and say, man, we've got stuff to do. We've got to go forward. We've got a church to build. We've got sheep to feed. Get out of this prideful looking at yourself. Let's go forward. Accept the correction. Let's move forward. Think about another one. Same time frame. Judas. Lord corrects Judas and says, you know, the money's not that important in the treasury. Don't worry about that. What does Judas do? He immediately goes to the Sanhedrin and betrays his master for 30 pieces of silver right after the correction. He said money's not that important. Same pride problem that that Peter had. Same betrayal that Peter had. But look at the different result. He was not able to control his pride. His pride left him to the hangman's noose, right? Led him to his death. He killed himself because of his pride. He wasn't willing to accept. He He was focused on me. It's all about me. I love me some me. I can't accept this correction. You're not talking to me, Lord. Can't be me. On a lighter note, think of athletes, right? Jeremy can, Jeremy can preach to this, right? Athletes have a limited set of skills. But through good coaching, good training, good mentoring, correction of the things they're doing wrong, they can become even better. And they'll get different coaches. You know, Tiger Woods changed his swing three or, three or four different times because he thinks that those, those corrections in his swing will allow him to hit the ball further and not put so much strain on his lower body because he torques it up so much when he swings. He's changed his swing several different times. He's corrected it so that he can get better, that he can be a better golfer in the future. <clears throat> So this really comes down to, when you think about correction, and I want you, you know, Uncle Sam there, it really comes down to you. And it comes down to how will I react to the corrector? Because even if the corrector is wrong, say the corrector comes to you and tells you something, as long as it's godly, how's it going to hurt you? If they come to you and say, hey, you need to be kinder to people. And they give you an incident, and you go, well, I wouldn't. That doesn't kind of that work. So what? You need to be kinder to people. Be kinder to people. It's not about the corrector. It's about how you and your pride accepts the correction. Instead of getting lies and prideful and turning away from it, just accept the correction and say, okay, I'll try to be better at that. Maybe that situation wasn't even the right situation, but I guarantee you if they've seen it in you, it's probably true. Maybe they don't have enough facts to back it up. Accept it. Accept the correction and try to be better at it. Do the same thing with the Lord. When you, when you hear His Word, when you read His Word, accept it and let it build your character. So in uh, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 9 and verse number 7, it talks to us about correction. 
And it says, He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instructions to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So there's two things that we can learn there. There are certain people that it's just not worth our breath to try to correct and try to fix. The scoffers, the wicked people, it's not worth our breath. They're going to hate us. And then there's the wise people that we need to spend our time on. The second side of that is, are you a scoffer or are you a wise person when it comes to the correction that you're receiving? Do you just hate the person that's trying to correct you? Do you just blow off the the correction? Or do you accept it and try to become wiser and stronger and better? So I wanted to point that out because there's there's a, a lot we can learn there from that. <clears throat> so kind of going back to the thank you for spanking me, Dad, is what the what the sign says there. And I can tell you in my home growing up we believed in corporal punishment. And um that's when I grew up and that was in my home. Both my girls are smiling. Um, but I can stand here today and, and I would, I would proudly hold that sign. Because I think I'm a better man today because of the way my dad treated me when I was younger. Now, at the time, and I believe the verse will bear that out. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who correct us and we pay them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and lie and live? For they indeed for a few days chasten us as seems best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. So the verse there says that, hey, we've had fleshly fathers. And those fleshly fathers have corrected us for a time as they saw fit, you know, to the best they could do. But it says we now have a spiritual father that is also chastening us and correcting us. And He does it, He, capital He, God does it for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. So if we want to be more holy, if we want to be more like Him, then we've got to accept His correction. And this is the verse that I was talking about right here. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, like I said, when I was growing up with my dad, you know, I, I would not want to stand here and bend over and allow him to grab the paddle of old and start in on me as an adult. But I can tell you, I would proudly hold the sign that he did it and he did it well and it made an impression and I'm a better person for it. But at the time, it was painful, and it was not joyful. But it had, a, it had a result at the end that was. It had a result that was better. And, and when we apply that spiritually, it says that it will, will yield peaceable fruits of righteousness. And it says, because of all of this, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet. 
so that where so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. So it says, if you're weary and your hands are hanging down, straighten it up. Clear the path if you've got bad feet. Shows a cleared straight path. Clear the path because God is there and He's correcting you and He's making you better. And all of this goes to you being more righteous. Peaceable fruits of righteousness. So, in summary, I went a little faster than I thought. In summary, because we have freedom of choice, bad behavior must be corrected. We have to accept the correction with a good heart. We've got to keep pride out of the way. We've got to focus on wise and just people and avoid scoffers and the wicked. And we've got to be wise and just people ourselves when it comes to being corrected. And finally, I don't know if everybody's familiar with that last phrase, but it's going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. That's a phrase that uh, is pretty prevalent in our family growing up. Dad tells the story about his brother, we called him Uncle Bub. He had a lot of other names. Uh, they, they were big in nicknames back then. My dad called him Booz. I don't know why. But anyway, there are young men throwing rocks. And my dad's dad comes kind of limping and hobbling by on his way to the outhouse. And he says, boys, y'all need to stop throwing rocks. And he goes on to the outhouse. But as young boys, they didn't listen, right? They kept throwing rocks. One ricochets off the tree, goes right through the half moon in the outhouse and rattles around inside with his dad inside the outhouse. And he came out, obviously, and uh, got to talking to, his, to my dad because my dad was the one that threw the rock. And he said, now, son, it's going to hurt me a whole lot more than it is you. And my dad said, well, if that's the case, why don't we just call the whole thing off? And it tickled my granddad enough at the time that he called the whole thing off. And he didn't, he didn't ultimately spank him. You know, we'll get, we're getting ready to come around the table. And this hurt our Lord a whole lot more than it hurt us. He gave His Son. His Son came. His son endured a ton of pain. He gave his life for us. He's constantly correcting us. It says when we come around the table to examine ourselves. And my call to you this morning is to get pride out of the way. Don't let this be, don't let pride get in the way of this. Don't let pride get in the way of your master correcting you and making you a better Christian. That's the lesson of the morning. If there be anyone that would like to come and have prayers of the church or to join the church, if you'd make those needs be known as we stand and sing.